I seriously can't think of any enemies he had. He had an enormous impact on people. Probably the most funniest person you ever wanted to meet. He didn't want to leave none of his friends or family behind. He was determined he was going to make you smile. I still meet people today that knew my brother. My gut told me something's wrong. His life was cut short. I mean, it was just a shame. His, his murder was just a shame. I've always believed that it will be solved. Welcome to The Fifth Floor. The Fifth Floor podcast is designed to bring you cases from the Columbus Division of Police in Columbus, Ohio. This podcast is hosted and produced by real police officers with the intention of educating the public about some of our unsolved cases. By providing material in this new format, we hope that with the help of our listeners, we will find additional information to solve these cases. We will never stop looking for these killers, and we will find you. Due to the descriptions of violence, listener discretion is advised. I'm Stephanie Lubell, an officer with the Columbus Police, and I'm with Deputy Chief Greg Bodker. The case we will be discussing is an unsolved murder from the year 2000. Our case today concerns Charles Ballard, who went by the nickname Chico. He was a young college student attending Ohio State. We are going to hear from the detective who originally worked on the case. We are also going to hear from Chico's family and friends who will tell us more about him. By sharing the information pertaining to this case, we are hoping our listeners may bring new information forward or shed more light on this senseless murder. We are hoping that there may be some listeners out there who lived in the campus area 20 years ago. Perhaps one of them remembers something and by listening to the details of the case, it will help them come forward with that important information. With that, let's look into this case further. We learned from the success of our first podcast on Kellyanne Prosser that this format, new for us, can help solve cases that had previously gone cold. Just as we did for Kellyanne's family, we're now hoping to bring Chico's family justice as well. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our first podcast series, we looked at a case from September of 1982 involving the abduction, murder, and sexual assault of an eight-year-old girl, Kellyanne Prosser. It was one of Columbus Police Homicide's most worked cold cases. Because of new DNA technology and the tireless investigation by CPD detectives, Kellyanne's murder was finally solved after 38 years. The murder that we're discussing in today's episode occurred in February of 2000, 
in the off-campus housing area of The Ohio State University. I actually went to Ohio State, and for me, this case really hits home because I always felt safe there. There are places that most people feel secure in their home, school, etc. And cases like this just remind you that evil exists everywhere. An important thing for me about doing these podcasts is to remind our listeners that in each homicide we discuss, the killer took away a life, and in this case, they took away someone's son, someone's friend, someone that mattered to a lot of people. Someone out there knows who killed our victim. Our killer spoke to someone, confided in someone, told someone something that I think could help solve this murder. Delivers deep down the field. He's got a receiver. A live touchdown. Buckeyes. Columbus, Ohio is, in a lot of ways, a college town. 57 yards. Ohio State has a huge campus and currently has well over 60,000 students that attend the Columbus campus. A quick internet search of the university's website tells me that the Columbus campus had nearly 48,000 students in the year 2000. Many students live in the off-campus housing that is on the east side of North High Street. The neighborhoods there are primarily inhabited by students, and generally it is a very safe area. People are all around all hours of the day and night, and many restaurants and bars are in the area, lining North High Street. The bars and the restaurants have changed over the years, but there were still many in the area in 2000. There were several murders of Ohio State students between the years 1994 and 2000. Strangely enough, none of the murders appear to be connected. During those years, There were four confirmed murders and one additional case that was originally classified as a missing person until 2004 when the female victim's remains were discovered in Delaware County, which is just north of Columbus. The Delaware County Sheriff's Office currently has jurisdiction in that case. Seemingly, none of the students knew each other or ran in the same circles. The case we're looking into is one of the two murders that occurred in 2000. The victim, in this case, Charles Ballard, was from a suburb of Cleveland called Shaker Heights and had moved to Columbus to attend college. Charles was also called Chico by everyone close to him. We will let his sister Cherie explain how he came by that nickname. My name is Cherie Caldwell. I'm the oldest, his sister. And the name Chico came from our neighbors that moved in around when I was in fourth grade. And they always said he looked Puerto Rican. So they called him Chico, which is, you know, like a Puerto Rican, a Hispanic term. And they said, used to be like Chico from Puerto Rico, you know, so because <laughs> he had the real curly hair. And back then he had this long tail and all that on the back. So, um, and it took him forever to cut it off. Um, but that's where the nickname came from. And so it just kind of stuck all the way through and he didn't care that people called him Chico. So he liked it. So that's, it just kind of stuck with him. Chico was very close with his mother and had a sister and a brother. His family was back in Shaker Heights, but he stayed very close to them with regular calls and visits. Chico was the middle child, and his sister was almost exactly one year older than him. Growing up so close in age made the two of them extremely close. His brother was a few years younger, 
but their relationship was strong as well, despite the age gap. Chico was 22 years old and was attending Ohio State. He was majoring in mechanical engineering, not an easy major. Chico was in the home stretch of his undergraduate program and was getting close to completing his degree. Chico attended a local church along with some friends. He was employed part-time at a local call center, CompuServe Calltech, and had worked there for about six months. Chico was close to his family back in Cleveland and the friends he had made in Columbus. By all accounts, he was a good student and a good person who was doing his best just to make ends meet. Working, going to school, and going to church. Chico's mother shared with us a little more insight into the kind of person Chico was. My name is Marcia. I am Charles Ballard's mother. When he was little, you know, he was in school at Ohio State to be a mechanical engineer. And I always knew that could be his destination because he liked to take things apart. He was always taking things apart. Um, um, yeah, as a child, he was always mechanically inclined. He liked to take things apart. You have a toaster and the next day you didn't because he took all the pieces apart and he hadn't figured out how to put them back together yet And because he, he was real little. He had to be about five or six when he took the toaster apart. I mean, but he used to do all kinds of things because back then you still had VHS tapes and he would put other things in there besides the tape like try to make grilled cheese or something and uh, no that's not where that goes you know but um but as he got older he learned how to take them apart and put it back together and he um helped build race cars and he was always helping the neighbors he, Ellen, he had a little part-time job as a teenager going around landscaping, which his younger brother took over when he got older. And um, so everybody knew him in the neighborhood, and he was just well-liked by everybody. Um, I seriously can't think of any enemies he had. Not, nobody's never expressed to me, even as he was growing up, that um, he had any enemies. So, I mean, it was just a shame. His, his murder was just a shame. Chico's brother, Junil, talks about how curious Chico was and how his mind worked. He was really a, a curious person. He had, a, he had a thirst for knowledge. I can remember he didn't just take machines apart. I mean, he was curious about elements and, and everything, you know. Um, he was six years my elder, and uh, I still learned things from him. <laughs> He'd been gone for 20 years. Um, taught me how to play chess and how to fix cars. And He was that kind of person that he wanted to know about things, and he wanted to share that knowledge with other people, you know? I can remember, uh, to this day, I remember him bringing home a diagram of a pop can which seemed to be the simplest thing, but he knew how it held the fizz inside and um, just the mechanics of how a pop can worked and why they were designed that way and why the metal was thinner in one place than the other and how they could stack on top of each other because of that. You know, who thinks of that? My brother would, you know. So that's who he was. 
Chico lived in a triplex on 17th Avenue that was pretty run down, and he was the only occupant. There were two other apartments in the building that were not rented out at the time. Chico had only lived there for a few months. As a struggling college student, Chico had found this apartment, which had cheap rent and put a roof over his head. Unfortunately, an important fact in this case is that the lock on the main door leading into Chico's apartment building was broken. In the building, through this unlocked door, there was a common hallway leading to the three apartments. The lock to Chico's individual apartment door was functional, and his friends said he usually kept it locked. Chico's best friend Leo, who he had met in the engineering program at Ohio State, was the last person to see him alive. Leo told investigators that he and Chico worked together at Chico's apartment until about 3 a.m. on Tuesday, February 8th. 2000. Leo went home and went to sleep. Leo didn't hear from Chico the rest of that day, which was unusual because the two talked regularly. Leo didn't become worried about Chico until the following day. That day would have been Wednesday, February 9th, when Chico didn't show up for class at 8 in the morning. Leo said it was normal for Chico to call at 7 a.m. first to make sure that Leo was awake to attend class. Leo tried to page Chico after class repeatedly, but didn't get a response. Leo and Chico were both engineering students and had several classes together. For Leo not to hear from Chico was very unusual. Back home, Chico's mother felt something was wrong. She didn't receive her daily email from Chico, and that was just not right. He used to send me every morning a religious poem. Or sometimes he just sent random poems because he used to write poetry, wrote poetry even as a child. And um, he used to email them to me. And um, for those two days, I never got anything. And I was too afraid to check, but my gut told me something's wrong. Leo decided to go check on Chico and went to his house. However, he then saw that the door to Chico's apartment was also open which he did feel was unusual because typically Chico kept it locked. Leo went into Chico's apartment to look for his friend and didn't find him, but he did later report smelling a burnt smell. Leo then went searching some of the places that Chico would frequent. Leo had to go to work, so he called his girlfriend Latanya and asked her to come stand by at Chico's apartment, hopeful that his friend would show up. Leo and Chico actually worked at the same call center as well. Chico didn't show up for a scheduled shift on February 8th, which his boss said was out of the ordinary because Chico was a good employee who always showed up for his shifts. Chico's boss said that there were no problems between Chico and other employees and that Chico was well-liked. Chico had been an employee since August of 1999. Latanya was on the phone with Chico's ex-girlfriend Anissa when Leo called her. Latanya told Anissa what Leo had said. Anissa immediately went over to his apartment and found what Leo had described. Anissa said that she smelled smoke and saw that the stove was on. Leo had said that the apartment was very cold and believed that the furnace wasn't functional. So the stove might have been on for that reason. Anissa called Latanya and together they decided that Anissa should call 911. 
Anissa and Chico had broken up about six months prior and seemed to still be on good terms. Anissa later told detectives that Chico wasn't having any personal problems to her knowledge and confirmed that the furnace was out in Chico's apartment. Anissa and Chico had maintained a good enough relationship that she had even offered to let Chico stay with her until the furnace was repaired. Anissa arrived at the apartment around 5.30 p.m. and was still there when police arrived. Officers searched the residence and also smelled the burnt odor. Officers then went down the stairs into the basement, which was unlocked and accessible from the outside, damaged rear door. Officers discovered Chico in the basement and called for the medics. Columbus Fire Department arrived and pronounced Chico deceased at 6.01 p.m. on February 9, 2000. The procedure with Columbus Police is to request emergency personnel from the Columbus Division of Fire or other local fire departments be dispatched to the scene when we find what we believe to be a deceased person. There are a few exceptions, but the majority of the time, responding officers ask for medics or the fire department to be dispatched to the scene. Fire personnel then pronounce the victim if they are indeed deceased. Officers then air on the radio the pronounced time so that it is recorded, as well as which fire department made the pronouncement. If the person is likely a victim of homicide, suicide, or it becomes apparent that it is a suspicious death, officers hold the scene for homicide detectives to respond and do not allow anyone to enter the scene. This helps prevent scene contamination and reduces the likelihood that the crime scene gets disturbed. The goal of responding officers is to preserve the crime scene as well as possible and keep the number of people in the crime scene to a minimum. Whenever a serious crime has been committed, officers in Columbus turn the scene over to detectives for investigation. In the murder of Charles Ballard, homicide detectives responded and processed the scene. Processing the crime scene has a lot of aspects, depending on what type of scene it is. For a homicide, Evidence is collected to be tested in the lab for DNA and fingerprints. The scene will be searched for prints, bodily fluids, or anything that might have evidentiary value. Photographs are taken. The scene will later be described in detail in a report. In Columbus, we are lucky enough to have a unit that we call Crime Scene Search Unit, or CSSU. Their job is to process scenes for serious crimes. For the Columbus Police, the homicide detectives rotate how they are assigned cases. On February 8th, homicide detective Dana Farbacher was assigned this case. Detective Farbacher has since retired, but he still remembers this case, and he thinks about it frequently. My name is Dana Farbacher. Uh, I'm a retired homicide detective with the Columbus Division of Police. And in February of 2000, I was assigned to the homicide division, and I worked the homicide case of the victim, Charles Ballard. Detective Farbacher walked us through his arrival on the scene. The apartment was located actually in the rear of the building. It was an older style home that had been converted into multiple apartment buildings, which is very common in the OSU campus area. When you would be at the back of the structure, you'd look at it. There was a common door that opened. It was standing open, as I recall, when I got there. And that common door would lead to the first floor of the building. If you went through that door and you kind of went down a hallway on the right, it would lead to the victim's apartment. 
and immediately in front of you was a set of steps that went down to the basement. As I recall, we examined, one of the first things we did was look at that common door, uh, and I believe the lock was broken on it, and that was later verified by the, the, the victim's girlfriend when we talked to her that that door could not be locked. So anyone could, while they could not get into the apartment of the victim, they could gain entrance to the building. Detective Farbacher initially observed the unlocked apartment building. This led to his eventual theory on what led up to the murder. Detective Farbacher discusses his on-scene assessment. First of all, when we got there, it was nighttime, and there was no power on in the building. The, the actual, the, we found that the, the panel board downstairs, the breakers had been thrown to cut the power off. Uh, so we were doing everything by flashlight in this initially. Uh, we went down the steps, and Mr. Boward's body was located at the, the base of the steps almost as soon as you would step into the basement. There had been a fire that had been set immediately around his body, probably almost underneath his body. And uh, the fire had consumed most of his clothing. Uh, it hadn't done a lot of structural damage or anything like that, but there was clearly some charring to, to the skin of his body, and most of the clothing was gone. Chico had been shot several times, and then the killer tried to set Chico's body on fire. The fire went out, and Chico was only partially burned. This explains why Chico's friends and the responding officers described a burnt smell. Additionally, a handgun was found under Chico's body, but Detective Farbacher believed it was Chico's gun. Tests later showed that it was not the gun that had been used to kill Chico. Friends said that Chico kept a handgun in his apartment for his safety. Through his investigation, Detective Farbacher developed a theory about what led Chico to the basement of the apartment building. One of the things you kind of do as a detective is try to figure out what happened here. How did this this person end up dead? And to us, it became pretty evident that what happened was the killer probably gained entry through that back door, went to the basement, shut the breakers off in an effort to lure the victim downstairs. And when he came to the bottom of the steps, he shot him there. Detective Farbacher theorized that the murderer was waiting for Chico in the basement and believes he was probably there while Chico's friends were still there. Detective Farbacher believes that the suspect waited until Leo left, then cut the lights to the apartment via the breaker box in the basement. If the lights were shut off, it would make sense that Chico would grab his gun to go check it out and try to get the lights back on. Chico also had his keys in his hands when his body was discovered. Detectives canvassed the neighborhood extensively, and no one saw anything of value. A couple of people mentioned that they had seen a vagrant sleeping on the porch occasionally. One of the neighbors actually thought that Chico's apartment was still vacant due to the rundown appearance of the building. None of the neighbors reported hearing any gunshots. A couple of neighbors mentioned some things that they had seen that may or may not be related to this case. Detectives never rule anything out immediately, but record everything that people share about the case. Everything that is collected will go into the case file to be followed up on, ruled out, or investigated later. This was a busy college neighborhood, so it is really surprising that no one has ever come forward saying they saw anything or heard anything. It was after 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, and the murder occurred in the basement of an apartment building 
so that could explain why no one heard anything or saw anything out of the ordinary. We did a neighborhood canvas to see if people had heard or seen anything uh, when we thought the homicide occurred. We interviewed uh, friends of Mr. Ballard and his girlfriend, and through interviewing them, we heard about this confrontation he'd had with an employee at the BP station at the, I think it's Summit and 17th, if I recall, in the southeast corner, which is right around the corner from where he lived. A normal question that comes up in the course of a homicide investigation is who was the victim? Who were they having problems with? Who would want to take Chico's life in such a brutal fashion? Detectives asked Chico's friends who he had problems with, but his friends all said virtually the same thing. Chico was working hard on getting his engineering degree. He worked a job, and he attended church and Bible study regularly. Chico was well-liked by his classmates and co-workers. When detectives asked who he had problems with, only one person came up that Chico had any kind of issue with. Chico was so universally liked and well-regarded that his friends struggled to come up with an answer to that question. In fact, Chico's ex couldn't think of anyone that Chico was having any issues with. However, the altercation Detective Farbacher mentioned came up when he asked Chico's best friend, Leo, the same question, and Leo could only name that one person that Chico had any problems with. Leo told Detective Farbacher that Chico had frequented the BP station near his house and had an altercation with the man who worked there. The suspect has never been charged or formally linked to the case, so for the purposes of this podcast, we will refer to him as Kevin. According to Leo, Chico had told him that Kevin followed Chico home one night and Chico had to scare Kevin away with his gun. Leo didn't have any details about the altercation or what led up to it. Leo also didn't know the man's name. It had been important enough, though, for Chico to mention it, but Chico had never reported it to the police. Initially, it really didn't sound like anything other than just a disagreement over a small amount of money. Uh, as I recall, there was, I think uh, Mr. Ballard was buying some, some cigars in the store, and there was a question over how much tax was being charged. And he got into an argument with the clerk over this, and he left and told the clerk, something along the lines of I'll be back or, you know, made a statement like that. The clerk who we later interviewed said, yeah, I saw him outside the, the, um, the station before I got off that he had come back and everything. And we didn't give a lot of credence to that because we thought, you know, people have disagreements with somebody every day. Is that enough necessarily to get you killed? In most situations, it's not. So we did some more follow-up. Uh, and what we found was that, uh, when we interviewed the clerk, he told us a story about how he was leaving work one night, getting ready to pull on to 17th, and Mr. Ballard drove his truck kind of in front of him going eastbound on 17th. And when he did, he flipped him off, gave him the finger. Uh, Mr. Ballard gave the clerk. So the clerk followed him in his vehicle to where Mr. Ballard parked. And when Mr. Ballard got out of, the, out of his truck, uh, he had a handgun in his hand. And he pointed it at the clerk, and the clerk said, I want nothing to do with this and drove away. Now, the clerk said, that's the last time I saw Mr. Ballard, and that was several weeks prior to the homicide. When a lead comes up, detectives start following that immediately. Kevin's story was different than Chico's. And in Kevin's version of events, Chico wasn't scaring him away, but was actually threatening him with a gun instead. 
Keep in mind that Chico never reported the altercation to police. So Chico's account of what occurred between him and Kevin has only come from Leo's recollection. Detectives conducted interviews with Chico's friends, co-workers, and canvassed his neighborhood. They followed the routine procedures that occur after a homicide is committed. However, they didn't have much evidence to follow up on until February 18th of 2000, when a break in the case occurred. A couple days after the homicide, I got a call from a detective in our burglary unit about the fact that uh, two patrol officers had been on routine patrol in the campus area, and they watched an individual um, who was wearing some sort of a, a mask trying to use an ATM machine at two separate locations. Um, they thought this was really strange. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so they stopped this individual. Uh, when they stopped him, he no longer had the ATM card on him because he had dropped the card when he saw the officers. They talked to him for a while. He eventually admitted that he dropped the card in this parking lot. They went over and checked and recovered the card. And it turned out the card was in the name of Mr. Ballard's uh, girlfriend. And she had co-signed for the account with Mr. Ballard. And the card had last been in the possession of Mr. Ballard. Chico's ex-girlfriend, Anessa, was contacted by CPD burglary detectives about her ATM card. But Anessa did not initially know what card the burglary detective was calling about. Columbus police officers had recovered Anessa's card and put it in the property room, then notified detectives about the circumstances surrounding finding the ATM card. Anessa didn't have a Huntington Bank card. She finally remembered who did. Anessa remembered that she had applied for and received a card for a joint account for her ex-boyfriend. Her ex-boyfriend, Chico. Chico had been unable to get a card in his name, and Anessa his girlfriend, decided to help him out. Anessa told detectives that she had never had possession of the card and it had always only been used by Chico. Very important in this case was the fact that officers hadn't found the ATM card last in the possession of Chico Ballard. They had found it on a person. A person wearing a ski mask. A person wearing a ski mask, trying to use the card at 4.15 a.m., on North High Street, 4.15 a.m. on February 8th, 2000, less than 90 minutes after Chico had last been seen alive by his friend Leo. Who was this person? None other than Kevin, the clerk from the BP gas station who had been involved in altercations with our murder victim, Chico. Join us on the next episode where we continue to follow where the investigation led detectives 20 years ago and discover why this case is still cold. If you or someone you know has information on the Charles Ballard homicide case, please reach out to detectives at the Columbus Division of Police or call Columbus Police Cold Case Detective Gillette at 614-645-4036. If you prefer to remain anonymous, you may contact us through Crime Stoppers at 614-461-8477.